Hello, 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 people, listeners of all kinds. Um, I am recording this at 3.30 a.m. in the morning, so please forgive me if I am a little off. I just have to record things when I feel productive or else it's not going to get done the way I want it to because I'll forget. Anyway, welcome to this episode of my podcast. I have no idea how long this episode is going to be, so I don't know if it's going to be short or long. Uh, I have a very specific and pinpointed topic I want to talk about, so um, your girl planned ahead in like the most minuscule way possible, um, in the sense that I have an overarching, overarching, over I think it's overarching, an overarching idea, um, but I don't have like notes planned out or anything, because uh, I like what my brain says when it just flows. When I don't have bullet points. I'm not going to give myself essays to verbally read out loud. So um, we're going to talk about invisible illnesses because it is a huge part of my life. It is something that I would potentially love to identify as an activist for. You know, um, identifying as an activist is, I've learned throughout throughout um, the last couple of years, is a like a serious thing to identify as like you can't just do activism passively and then be like oh yeah I'm an activist you know it's something that you actually truly have to do and um participate in and I just don't feel that I am in that stage to take that title to um absorb that title for myself because I I just don't think that's a title that's correct for me yet. Um, Yeah, but I would love to potentially be uh, an activist for not just disabilities, but all types of illnesses and advocate for the destigmatization of a lot of things. Um, I think that's the best way I can describe myself is being an advocate. That's kind of something that my mom has provided me with like the thought and ideal ideology that advocating for people and not just yourself is so important in life um of course the first things I learned how to advocate for was myself but um personally it just I want to just advocate for everybody that I can because Um, I feel like this term is used a lot, but like being a voice for the voiceless, I don't even want to be the voice for the voiceless. I want to give them a platform to speak. Um, I don't want to speak for them. I want them to speak on their own because it can kind of be a game of telephone where things can get misconstrued. Um, I'm sorry, my voice cracks a lot, regardless of if I, it's 3am or not. Um, but I, I want people to speak up um on things and I want I would love to have a big platform and then give it to people whose voices aren't heard because um I just feel like that's such a productive um and beneficial way of using whatever platform you have so it's really um one of my life goals however big my platform is if I can um amplify voices um then I feel like I'm doing something right so Um, I'm just going to talk about invisible illnesses and like disabilities and stuff like that 
stuff in that nature for a bit. Um, since it is very, very late at night or early morning, however you want to consider it, um, it depends on how I'm feeling. Right now, I'm considering it late night and not early morning. But sometimes I'll wake up at 3 a.m. and be like, it's early morning. You know, it all just depends on what you were doing throughout the day. But um, I'm going to talk about two really great creators that I appreciate so much and they have helped me an incredible amount in my journey of uh following advocacy and ad activists um and understanding myself more um you know I have this like theme of the theme of navigating is self-discovery um quite literally so um these creators have helped me like I said tremendously in discovering um who I am and things that matter to me um I would like to preface this by saying that I read an old creative blog post that was an assignment for high school in junior year um I wrote it when I was 16 so I had just gotten my transplant um, the year before, well, not even the year, about eight months prior to writing um, my blog post. And so I read it and it reignited the flame under my butt that I have to advocate for people. Um, I truly feel that it is one of my life's purpose to have some impact on the world and make it just a little better or just a little more accommodating um and that that passion and that drive that I have has been so much more realized thanks to hearing other people with more knowledge talk about the shortcomings that we have in society and in this world um so it wasn't if it wasn't for um these people that I'm about to mention I truly would still be lost um, in knowing what I wanted to fight for. So to give a bit of background, if this happens to be your first episode you're listening to about me, um, I am Talia. That's my name. Um, and I have chronic kidney disease. Um, I, had, I have kidney failure. My natural native born kidneys, original kidneys, whatever you want to call them, they are non-functioning um since I was 13 years old probably a little before that also um so my natural kidneys do not work I was on dialysis for two years until I finally got a transplant a deceased donor transplant which means that the transplant was not from a living donor um and I've had this transplant since 2016 so we're going on six years um, which is insane to think about because I was in such, such, um, I always felt like I knew my transplant was coming, but I've had a lot, and when I say a lot, I do mean a lot of uh, obstacles with this transplant. So I'm very thankful for everything that it's given me and the time that we have together. Um, and I don't take it for granted for a second, but I do often um forget that I have a transplant sometimes um because I feel normal and I think that's a wonderful thing it's like I forget that I have kidney failure sometimes because I'm just like 
I'm normal. I'm a little weak, but I'm normal. Um, and that's a very, very good thing um, for me to have. I'm very thankful that I can even think that way occasionally. Uh, but yeah, so that's a little bit of background. So I've, I um, was on this chronic illness journey since 13. And it was an incredibly isolating journey because regardless of how old you are, when you're going through an illness, you feel isolated and you feel like you're the only person in the world who has this illness. No matter what statistics someone shows you, um, you feel very alone. So for me, I was a teenager who no one knows who they are when they're a teenager. Well, some people do, but it's incredibly hard to figure out who you are as a teenager and I'm still working on it. That's why I'm doing self-discovery. But, um, it's incredibly you don't you like you're all you're trying to do as a teenager as a teenager is get good grades and fit in um that's kind of like the big theme of high school is to just find your crowd you fit in with do your things and then keep it going whatever social aspects changes for different people and the different crowds you're in but overall you just want to keep a sort of low profile um, not make too much of a splash, maybe, unless that's your kind of thing, and then you just keep it pushing. So, like, that's what I assumed the high school was like, and that's kind of what my high school experience was like, and the other people I talked to. So, um, when you have an illness that is very, um, is not evident in your appearance, but very evident in your behavior, as in I had dialysis for three hours and I just was very fatigued all the time and I couldn't go to school all the time. And it affects you in so many more aspects than just your kidneys. Um, with that going, I could never really keep a low profile. I had to tell every teacher that I had that I had kidney failure because it would always come up in some at some point. Whether I had to go to my nephrology, which is the kidney doctors, whether I had to go to my nephrologist because they I needed my monthly exam, so I was going to be late to school or I might miss the whole school day, or I was just extremely fatigued because I just had to give a bunch of blood um, so they could make sure that I'm operating at a healthy scale. So, you know, I just always had to make people aware of my kidney disease. And then also, um, in sophomore and junior year, uh, people asking me if I was a new student because they hadn't realized I was here the whole four years because I was out of school six months in freshman and sophomore year. That's a little bit of background story about me, but yeah. Um, also dealing with an illness that only, that mostly affects elderly people. So the only people, like the five degrees of, or six degrees of separation I had from another person who was on dialysis was they knew my grandparents and they would complain of how horrible and straining dialysis was. And like, it is very straining, trust me. Um, but it's also completely different when you are um, a pediatric patient, whether, or you're a geriatric patient is what I was trying to say. Um, but yeah, that's uh, <laughs> the long slash short of my background. Um, 
so yeah it just I felt incredibly isolating because I was like one of the only people I knew who was on dialysis and then when it comes to Pete's dialysis there weren't many people in my age range the other people were much younger than me um or there was one person in my age range but like have you ever seen teenagers talk to each other it's the most awkward thing that could ever happen um and I just naturally have social anxiety so like I never know how to talk to someone my age um and it's just very nerve-wracking and scary for me so I never I never had an outlet which is why I made this podcast um I never had an outlet to talk about the things that bothered me and hindered me in my day-to-day life and every time I tried to talk to a friend about it the conversation would turn sour um is the best way I could I could uh, describe it it would get really awkward because other 15 16 year olds don't really want to talk about medical issues with another teenager and I don't know if I've said this but let me reiterate it or iterate it for the first time I don't even know if that's a word um but I do not blame anyone for um I don't blame anyone for feeling I don't blame anyone for my isolating feeling because it's not like people were bullying me or it's not like people didn't want to talk to me. It's that people didn't know how to navigate the situation. And how could I ever expect them to know how to navigate the situation when I didn't know how to navigate the situation, you know? So, um, and plus I was a socially awkward person. So like, how was I supposed to um, knock down those boundaries and like figure out how to communicate with people it's a very hard task um to figure out when this is all new to you I mean I speak to you now as if I figured it out but I haven't I still don't have friends um I still don't have a comfortable place where I can talk about my illness um because it is a big part of me but I don't want to just be known for my illness I am also well not for only for a couple weeks but I'm still also a regular teen soon to be regular young adult where um I have other interests um and unlike like when you're talking to anyone with chronic illness who has been diagnosed um either as a young adult or as a pediatric just in the stage of life where it's quote-unquote not common um sometimes they might choose to dive headfirst and go full full force into um the medical field or they might um totally run the other direction those are like the pretty two main two common um reactions um I don't even know if there really is a middle ground but I'm one of those people who dove headfirst and I fell in love with the medical field um and then other people are like scared of hospitals and never want to go to hospitals again but just because I love the hospital doesn't mean I want to talk about it all the time, you know? Like, I, I just, you know, people are talking about their regular every day-to-day stuff. Um, and I'm like, oh, yeah, and I was in dialysis last night. And, you know, this teacher would never answer my emails. And then my peers, classmates, acquaintances, whatever you really want to call them, would just kind of look at me with, like, a blank stare and not really know how to continue the conversation. That's not their fault. You know, I'm, I'm, I never, like, it's, it would be preposterous for me to try to place blame on them because 
I try to put myself in their shoes and I'd be like, I'd probably be equally as awkward. Not going to lie. Um, who I expected more out of was my teachers. That I definitely expected more out of them. So there's that. Um, but the reason I created this podcast and the reason why I've uh, wanted to create a safe space for um, disabled and or chronically ill people um is because I haven't found a safe space for us especially when you're young I don't know of any safe spaces for us I looked for forums I looked for YouTube videos of course like now with TikTok and things uh a lot more stuff is showing up but when I was diagnosed in 2014 it was like barren I would look for videos about pediatric dialysis and they were literally videos from the early 2000s to the 90s. So there was nothing relevant to what I had experienced. So I am carving out a little section of the internet, um, hopefully to um, create a safe space for us to talk about blood draws and just hospital stuff, but also talk about your favorite music, movie, TV, whatever, you know, whatever interests you, but also be like, hey, listen, can I talk to you about this medical thing that happened today, this medical test that happened today, can I talk to you about my MRI, my CAT scan, you know, like, let's talk about it, let's talk about the funniest thing you said on anesthesia, you know, let's like, Let's just chill out and talk about medical stuff because it's kind of crazy sometimes. Um, so that's what I wanted to do. And then like um, seeing how there's so many little curved out corners of the internet, I was like, well, why not? Why not make my own? Who cares if there's already one existing? Um, there can, there's never enough. There's never enough. So um, that's why I started this podcast. And now I'm thinking I should like start a discord. So... We could really chat it up, but I don't know. I, I I have to work on like marketing this experience to people so I can get it to reach the right people who feel like they also lack community. But yeah, um, in this um, in this time of me um being first apprehensive to ever create my own community and just like just the time of desperate need for it because I was experiencing isolation and isolated feelings and feelings of depression and being a social outcast not because everyone not because anyone made me feel like a social outcast but because how do you interact quite literally so um let me let me go back to my instagram and talk about people who have made the world feel less isolating to me and people who i just want to like shout out and say hey um your content reached me if your sole goal was for it to reach someone hi that person is me nice to meet you thank you so much for your content it has made me feel better about my place in the world so, uh, I just watched a live a couple hours ago from Blair Imani, um, and she is incredibly, incredibly just, like, 
smart first of all she calls her like following smarties so it's really really great um and she she's just such a source of information in the best way she can she really uses her time to educate um and i just want to make it known no one no one is obligated to educate you no one it's no one's job you know so when someone sacrifices their time to educate and make things more accessible and easier to people um i am eternally grateful and um i am incredibly grateful to her um she talks about all sorts of things um in all sorts of spectrums which can hopefully um challenge the way you think about things and also just make you a better ally um which i'm gonna do a whole separate episode on allyship because that's a topic that i really don't want to discuss as a black woman um i've seen a lot of i've seen a lot of things so i want to get into allyship but um what blair does is she talks about disability and ableism she talks about um just so many things she talks about um, intersectionality and the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, she talks about so many things. She talks about colorism and race and just anything you can think of really. Um, it's hard to encapsulate her into just a short blurb. Um, so I'm just really thankful for all that she does. And, um, I feel so educated just by following her um and she makes it super easy like she makes it so easy please just follow her she's amazing um and she has little reels and tiktoks i believe they're on tiktoks as well on tiktok as well of just great snippets um her signature series is smarter in seconds literally smarter in seconds you can question your bias within seconds it is incredibly useful in this fast-paced world and from someone who has a short attention span and can and loves compact concise things it's very helpful and it gets the point across in an eloquent and yet meaningful way just chef's kiss um so I'll tell you where her at on Instagram. It's her name. So B-L-A-I-R-I-M-A-N-I. So Blair Amani, just already someone who um, I appreciate so much. Uh, And the next one I've talked about before um, in my uh, podcast episode about like accepting disability. I also think I talked about college in that episode. So this is Amani Barbarin, I am so sorry. I think it's Barbarin. I hope I said that right. I'm, I will look like a fool. I will look. I this will be shameful for me if I didn't pronounce that right. Um, yes, she goes by Crutches and Spice, um, and she talks about disability advocacy. I think would be the right word in this sense. Or just, she talks about disability all the time because it is a part of her life. And um, she is a disability um, 
disability rep, I believe. Yeah, she works for a nonprofit and she talks about it a lot. And she's also a disability blogger um, and content creator, public speaker, model, actress. I'm just kind of reading her bio on Instagram right now. But what I found her on TikTok and it was like a life shattering moment when I started watching her videos and analyzing my life because I think I talked about this um, briefly before, but no one really ever wanted to say that I was disabled due to my kidney failure. It was never brought about, even though I had uh, 504 forms, which are directly impacted. Um, they are directly come from the impact of the Disability Act the Dis- Disability Rights Act, I believe. Don't quote me on anything. I'm still a I'm still a baby learner, and I didn't research. I didn't research enough. Like I know what I'm talking about. Not enough to spread the word, but I know what I'm talking about. And I'm giving you better resources than me. I am a secondary source, or a tertiary source. I'm giving you better sources to look to. Um. But yeah, so I had 504 forms that literally count as disability forms in middle school and high school because of my kidney failure, but no one wanted to label me as disabled. And through Imani's content, I've realized that I am disabled. Disabled is not an inherently negative word, um, and it means so much more and so and it has such a different meaning than what we've been led to believe. Um, it's not this um, end-all, be-all of like, woe is me, this person needs to be coddled all the time. Um, and one of the key words that I remember is like infantilism, infantilism, which is like treating someone with, um, as an infant or a baby or really um, not allowing them to have independence um which is not something that I personally have experienced but it's definitely something that it's a rhetoric and ideology that I have definitely co-signed on when thinking about people with disabilities and because I was not listening to the people with disabilities I was getting secondary tertiary just non-primary um, assessments of their situation. I was not listening to disabled people. I was listening to news anchors talk about disabled content or not even disabled content, disabled experiences, which they really truly know nothing about. Um, so Imani has been incredibly, incredibly helpful in my own journey of self-discovery and, um, understanding my world and the outlook of it. Um, so these two women are people that I recommend greatly. Um, there are a plethora of more people that you should listen to and consider. Um, and I'm doing, I'm trying my best work to educate myself on, um, deaf and blind, um, because those are some of the disabilities that I see most often, um, in my day-to-day life, you know? scratch that. I have to work on how I see the world and how, and my perspective. Um, and I have to work on treating everyone 
with the same respect and kindness and this is coming these are my words um i have to treat everyone with the same respect and kindness that i would treat a disabled person because i shouldn't be infantilizing disabled people and i should just have a baseline of respect for everyone no matter if you're disabled or if you're able-bodied there should be a baseline of respect and that's what really the fight has always been for um but it's also important to know that um this is something that i've read when talking about race dynamics you don't just want equality you want equity we don't want everything to be on the same page because black people would still be at a disadvantage and i'm just talking about racism in the united states you need equity because the race gap has been pushed so far ahead that if you just give equality now there is still too much of a gap to bridge so the same thing would be with um able-bodied and disabled people um you don't want just equality you want equity and that looks very different for different types of disabilities um so yeah so and that's and it's just setting the framework in my mind to be always questioning always taking my time to to assess what i'm doing you know just take your time and be like well is this a good idea is this a, is this how someone would want to be treated and when in doubt ask look it up do your own research um just don't don't think you know the answer all the time because sometimes you don't um, even if it's a, uh, um, a disability that you yourself have, maybe the general consensus is different from what you would want. You know, it's just educating because you have to understand the multitude of perspectives and not just base everything on your own life experiences because that is incredibly selfish. Um, and just very close-minded, very close-minded, and you will be... As my mom likes to say, like, when you get out in the real world, you'll be shocked because uh, to just view everything in your own sense and in relation to you it does more harm than good. So I'm going to talk about some things that I've learned from um, my journey in um, educating myself in um, ableism and um, advocacy for equity and rights for all people um so i'm gonna base a lot of this off of myself because the only experience i can talk about is my own and then i'll and then i'll make connections because that is the that is the easiest way for me to understand things is connecting things to my own life i know it sounds self-centered and i just talked about being selfish um, however, my brain works best with examples. Um, it doesn't mean the example has to be me. It's just it works best if it's me to my brain. Um, but any type of examples help me understand. So um, if you have anything that you want to share with me about understanding certain people's um, perspectives, go ahead and tweet me. I, would, I will read the tweets because... I just want, I want to live in a more understanding world. And if that starts with me, then that's, that's, 
absolutely fine with me. Um, yeah, so I'll start talking about what I've learned. So I'm going to start talking about my high school experience, which I've talked about before. Um, I just feel like it's a great basis to talk about. So I mentioned earlier in this very episode that I was out of school for six months. If you don't know, um, the school year um, in New York State, and I think almost across the U.S., is 10 months. So I was gone for half plus of the school year because I needed to regain my strength. I was going to dialysis for three hours, three times a week. I needed to recuperate. My body could not take the physical stress I was putting it under. And I received um, what is called home instruction. And I want to preface this by saying that anything that the home instruction teacher knew about the curriculum of my high school was given by me. I had to tell them what we were doing in school. They never talked to the school directly. It was sent by the Department of Education, if I'm not mistaken, and that's was it. They were just kind of like, here's your home instructor, now deal with it. Um, there was never a plan set to accumulate um, credits in all of my grades, I mean in all of my classes, it was very much like a half attempt, not a full attempt to truly get me back where I was going uh, and back on track. It was a very um, nearsighted plan and it did not foresee um, the future for myself and um, I've said this before, I felt like I was punished for being sick. Um, I felt that way on multiple occasions because later on, to skip ahead a little bit, I had to go to summer school three out of my four years of high school. Um, I will admit that I did fail one class um, on my own accord. Well, I failed two classes on my own accord um, because uh, the weight of the world was on my shoulders and I couldn't do it. And I'll go, I'll go into that in more detail. But I was in summer school every year after freshman year because the way home instruction was set up set me up for summer school. It did not help me. It kind of just hurt me along the way. It didn't do as much harm as people planned for it to do. Um, And this is absolutely in no regard a diss or any kind of commentary on the people who are home instructors. Um, This is very much out of their control. I am talking about the system in place um, and not the instructors. Um, So I needed an instructor my freshman year of high school. I blanked out for a second, sorry. Uh, I also needed one in my eighth grade year in middle school. So let's talk about the one that I had in eighth grade. They were... a a kindergarten slash first grade teacher so they were not well versed in the things that I was studying so it was completely out of their hands whether I fully could grasp the task the topics or not the subjects at hand um they were incredibly nice but when you're a teacher who teaches um 
first graders and kindergartners and you're trying to teach algebra that even you don't use on a daily basis, it's going to be difficult, you know? Um, I'm going to, everyone says it, but a lot of the things that you learn about math in algebra, you don't use in the real world. I'm taking statistics now and I can almost guarantee I'm not going to use any of this stuff because I'm not going to be a mathematician or doing anything with statistics. I'm not going to be like a researcher or, or something like I, I know that I'm, that's not my path right now. Um, but hey, I, I, I know how to do statistics. And sometimes it was awkward because I would get the answer before he did. And he would be like, you got that wrong. And I'd be like, no, I didn't. And I would show him my work and he would be like, oh yeah, you got it right. And it, because math is my forte, English and history are not. That's why I'm going into the field of math and science. Um, but yeah, it was just awkward. Like it was kind of like, how is this ever going to work? It's already a, a plan that's going to fail if you don't have someone who's well versed in what they're trying to teach. Um, and that leads me on to a bigger discussion of how summer school is not a help at all, is not a help at all. Um, at least the summer school program I went to, how are you? How how is someone in a couple of weeks supposed to get something that they were supposed to learn throughout a semester? It is almost completely impossible. And everything I learned in a, a, in summer school were things I learned in middle school. So what I was trying to learn in summer school at high school were already topic, topics I had discovered. I rarely, if ever, I think, yeah, I almost never learned a new topic um so it was I was coming to summer school thinking I would be supplemented for the in for the knowledge that I had lost because I was (laughs) in I was out of school due to health reasons and I was kind of just treated like a child who didn't do their homework so you have to go to summer school and you have to do meaningless busy work to try to get your grade up again so that's what I did um but let's talk about how this relates to what I've learned about ableism so we live in a society I love I love how that phrase is a meme and I don't even I don't know the meme connection but we live in a society and we live in a society that that um what was I gonna say that amplifies productivity that values you by your productivity and what you can do for others and not what you can do for yourself in the society that we are in right now self-care is I don't even think it's valued at all um you are mostly valued as a commodity and what you can do for others what product you can make um and how fast you can make it and it's incredibly incredibly harmful for everyone not just people who are disabled it's incredibly harmful for everyone because it is detrimental to your mental health which then in turn can be detrimental to your physical health so that's a a a topic that i'm going to go into a little bit 
and using my life as examples. So the example of my school and home instruction and also um, the summer school was that I had done nothing wrong, yet I felt as if I was being punished. There was no equity in trying to get me the knowledge I had lost. It was just kind of like, okay, what systems in place do we have to, to like, quickly fix this problem and not actually help her learn? We're just trying to get this student on good record um, but we're not actually helping her learn the subjects that she's going to need for next year. So she's always going to be a couple steps behind. And that's exactly what happened. I entered Algebra 1 and I was a couple steps behind. I entered Geometry and I was a couple steps behind because they were like, you didn't learn this the year before? And I was like, no, I've been sick and I've been going to summer school and I haven't learned anything new. So that's what that was. Um... And I want to talk about it a little bit more. I might be a little scatterbrained. I apologize for that. Um, I hope, like I say this in almost every episode, I hope um, my message is my message is coherent and concise enough for you to understand it. Um, so we live in a world that uh, values productivity. Therefore, before I was diagnose I was very much a cog in the machine and I was a good cog in the machine I did what everyone said to do I was very much um a goody two shoes whatever you want to call it I did everything by the book and I had seen the negative effects of this of a productive of, of a productivity focused society I had seen um the negative effects of this on other people in my life that I cared about um i.e my friends um who had other um who had other I don't know what to call it other cognitive differences um because I don't want to, I don't want to cast the label of disabled onto other people because that is not something that I can call someone else unless they identify themselves as that. Um, so I'll just say I had a friend who had dyslexia and I saw them struggle with schoolwork and I was just kind of like, well, you must not be working hard enough because that's what society always led me to believe. Um, that if you work hard enough, you're going to get good grades regardless. And if you're not understanding the content that is being given to you, then you are not working hard enough. And I totally co-signed to that rhetoric and that um, belief. Um, and I just, I didn't get it. Mind you, I was literally 11 at the time. I didn't get it. I could not understand it until it happened to me. And that's a very, very selfish, self-centered thing to say. But it, it is exactly what woke me up. And it often happens to a lot of people. You are not aware of the shortcomings and the disadvantages and honestly the, the harmful things that society does unless it happens to you. So... 
in this world, I was very much thriving until I wasn't. And then the thing about a world that prides productivity so heavily is that when you make a misstep and when you stumble, you are left out to dry completely. And there are no systems in place to effectively help you bounce back. And I had believed, I had believed in the lie that, well, if I work hard enough, I'll bounce back and I'll understand everything again. I just have to work hard for it. And because of my merit, which we could talk about, uh, I get this word wrong a lot, meritocracy, meritocracy, meritocracy. We can talk about that as well, because that goes hand in hand with um, this, the society we live in today. But that's uh, for another time. So anyway, I was heavily, heavily believing the falsehoods that I was getting that if I make a misstep, well, surely I can pick up the pieces if I work hard enough. Um, so that misstep was kidney failure and I had to leave for six months in elementary school, not elementary school, in middle school. And then I had to leave for six months twice in high school and I never fully landed on my two feet ever again ever again I am in college and I continue to stumble because I didn't have the foundation of all the high school teachings that I needed um and it affects me all the time and as someone who equated their self-worth self-worth heavily to their grade um it's been a lot of unlearning that I had to do because I would quite literally feel less than if I did not get a perfect score and if I did not get good grades. I felt less than. Um, even today, I will get a 96 on my assignment and I'll be like, well, I didn't get an 100. I missed four points. I got two answers wrong. I should have gotten, I should have done better. You know, and that way of treating yourself and thinking is incredibly harmful, but it's also incredibly normalized and what we're conditioned to think nowadays. So, and this happens regardless if you are disabled, dealing with a mental illness or any type of illness, even if you're able-bodied, this can happen to you. How many times have you seen just memes about missing one math class and then not knowing what the hell is going on ever again? In a system of learning, that should never be the case. There should be systems in place that help a student get back on track. You're not actively learning anything and you're not actively teaching anything if someone misses one day of class and they can never get back on track again, that in and of itself is a flaw because life is unpredictable. And why are the standards and systems we have in place not accommodating to that? So I had one of the most unpredictable things happen to me. Yes, I had to be in the hospital for a month. Yes. But life is unpredictable at all times, whether that is for 24 hours a week or five hours. Life is completely unpredictable and has so many variables. For instance, in elementary school, 
kids would not be counted late if the train delays were significant enough live in the city so train delays are very common and if you um were coming to school and there was a train delay and you were unfortunately late to school it was not counted you were not penalized for it heavily sometimes it would even happen with absences if the trains were just that bad you wouldn't even be marked absent that was a very very rare occasion but it did happen um if we can make those accommodations for travel to school why can't we make them in other things um and this is all inherently ableist and i can't necessarily explain all those things to you i can try um later on i'm just kind of setting the groundwork um and what i understand um so we live in the the current systems that are in place won't let you even be absent enough um and we live i'm gonna i keep saying that and the society live we live in promotes working rain or shine in sickness and in health i know that's from vows but we do promote this kind of thinking how many people have you heard while working while they have the flu the cold coronavirus people still had to work because not only of the productivity focused society and the merit focused society but also a capitalistic society um these are all things that are inherently capitalistic and are just oh there's there's so many layers and levels to why things are wrong and they almost always lead back to racism classism uh sexism and then capitalism um in my humble opinion and in the research that i've done um a lot of it leads back to these things and um it takes a lot of unlearning because this is the groundwork and the foundation of the world we live in right now and that's why it's so important to not just say um revise it and reform it we have to abolish it because you can't reform racism you have to abolish it and wipe it clean and build new foundation that is more supportive uh i want to give myself a pat on the back for that analogy because that was gold for 4 a.m in the morning i'm gonna move my i'm gonna get a little cocky give myself a pat on the back okay okay so um I lost my train of thought a little bit but if you can't even miss one day of school because of the unpredictableness of life because maybe you had a cold how are we supposed to live this system only supports you for what you can give to the system not what you benefit off of you re- we rarely ever benefit we are literal cogs in the machine um i feel kind of soapboxy saying these things but uh these are things that i truly believe to be evident um and i've done my research on it and i find these things to be um true and inherent and ingrained um yeah so if so for instance there are other parts of the world um that allow an infinite amount of sick days because they are under the belief that hey if you're sick 
don't come to work because that's a pretty good mindset to have. And there are so many studies backing this. So for instance, if you go to work and you can only perform at half capacity for whatever reason, because of a prior obligation, um, your mind is heavy because of a medical issue, whatever situation you may be in, you're only operating on half capacity or even quarter capacity of what you can do. Um, your job rather have you continue working at half capacity than let you go at all and recuperate when you could have worked, you could have taken yourself off and taken a break and then performed at 100% capacity after a week break and gotten more profit. And I'm talking in the ways of capitalism and productivity because when you boil it down, even though we live in such a, a productivity and product uh, and capitalistic focused society, they're not even doing it well. Like if you really wanted the most profit, you would let your, your, I almost said students, you would let your employees have the day as off to recuperate off of stress so that they can then work at their utmost potential. Um, and that's inherently bad. Anyway, um, speaking of that, that relates to my life. I have this ongoing notion that I have yet to live up to my potential because I felt like I was at my highest when I was producing the most work and I was getting the best grades in school because as I said before I have a hard time not equating myself to my grades and I've cried about it multiple times feeling like my potential has been ruined I will never live up to my potential and my potential is just gone squandered never to be seen again um and it hurts it hurts to think that way because I know that's a lie because I would never say that to someone else um and that's just a good thing a good rhetoric to have is that if you wouldn't say it to someone else don't say it to yourself um so yeah I I I it pains me all the time all the days I went through high uh, high school with the isolation and depression I already had I felt worthless um and not necessarily worthless worthless like worth nothing I felt literally worth less than I was before I was like I'm not showing my teachers the best I can do but I I was always putting the blame on myself instead of acknowledging the systems in place how the heck am I supposed to live up to my fullest potential whatever if I'm never given days of rest and I'm on dialysis three times a week and I'm never given a day to rest, they expect me to go to school every single day, rain or shine. Even when I am incredibly fatigued, my blood pressure is either high or low, I'm either hypotensive or hypertensive and I'm just frail and weak and I can't even fully learn because I'm too focused on my body feeling crummy yeah that's not my fault 
that's not my fault. How was I ever supposed to operate well in a system like that? That's not my fault. So that's the kind of general stuff and um, examples I want to speak about with ableism. And um, it's such a fascinating topic to me because it is so ingrained in everything. And one thing that Imani Barbarin, Barbarin? I think I said it right that time. I don't know. Um, one thing that she emphasizes is that ableism doesn't just affect disabled people. It affects everyone. Ableism will, it is something that will affect everyone. When I was able-bodied, it, like, I was previously able-bodied and then I became disabled because of my ailment and then ableism came after me. It's, it affects everyone at some point um and even in the sense of now looking back at um my life I realize I might not have always been able-bodied I might have had a mental illnesses that I just didn't I wasn't aware of um for me to uh slip into OCD tendencies so quickly after my diagnosis um, it, I realized that I had tendencies for a while and I have never, I have not been diagnosed, um, and I'm not self-diagnosing myself. I'm just realizing and looking at common tendencies that I had throughout my life and realizing that, oh, I probably wasn't neurotypical my whole life. So ableism was still affecting me without me even knowing for instance I can talk about another I could talk about another example I'm a slow reader um it takes me a while to process things um as I'm saying this I am making some connections in my head anyway in second grade second grade I was reading grade level I just was a slow reader I had full comprehension I just needed to take my time. It took me longer to finish a grade level book, I guess. But I was still reading grade level. So they advise that I have a reading tutor. Um, I think I've told the story before. But thanks to the reading tutor was fine. I have nothing against her. But one day she did pick out the book um, on Louis Braille's life. And it talks about... A bit graphically about how he became blind um don't don't just don't don't look it up don't look it up uh don't look it up it was quite traumatizing for eight-year-old Talia as you can tell because I have I still have the picture from the picture book in my mind I don't know why they tried to make this a kid's book it's very concerning to me but that's the only book I have ever remembered that I read from my reading coach. And then later on, they realized that, okay, she has full reading comprehension. There's nothing wrong with her reading. She just takes a little bit of time. So then they swift, swiftly took me out of the program. I didn't even do it for the whole time. 
Um, I know that because I started the program with another student and then I was taken out of the program while that student remained because um, the program was supposed to, I, I just knew that the program was supposed to last longer than that and also they were completely um, upfront with my mom about it and told her that it was, uh, uh, and it was canceled and ended early because they saw that I didn't actually need the help. Um, it was a quote-unquote special education program without blatantly saying it was a special education program, which we can also talk about how uh, poorly my elementary school went about those programs. And um, there was obviously stigma around those programs, and it's just, ooh, that's a whole nother topic for a different day. Um, but yeah, and then that same year, a couple weeks later, after they had taken me out of the reading, um, reading boosting course, whatever you want to call it, um, they had offered me to skip the grade. They had offered me to skip second grade because I was ahead of my class in all the other aspects and I was above grade level in all the other aspects but reading. So I was like, you can skip the grade if you want. They're like, she literally doesn't really need to stay here. She's an advanced student, so she can skip second grade. My mom chose not to. I also said no because I had made friends in second grade and I didn't want to skip a grade because upperclassmen were scary. Ooh, let's talk about elementary school upperclassmen. Even though they were like a year or two years older than you, I was so fearful. I was like, oh my God, they're third graders oh my god I'm a second grader oh my god I can't this third graders oh my god I can't I can't I can't I can't I can't um so yeah that's kind of where I was at at the time so I decided not to uh skip a grade and as I'm saying the story I hope you realize how ridiculous it sounds you know I wasn't gonna get left back or held back a grade for my reading but it was concerning enough for them to put me in a program and then and then they were like oh she just processes things slowly let's let her skip a grade excuse me excuse me excuse me that's ridiculous you were concerned before and now you're like let her skip whoa whoa Imagine if I did skip the grade. Imagine how chaotic that would have been for my little eight-year-old brain. Too much. Too much. Putting too much pressure on these damn kids. I just, I, ooh. 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 There's so many, there's such a springboard for other topics. And there's like, there's a, ooh. I'm not going to. But, Yeah. Um, if I'm saying, if whatever I'm saying relates to you a little bit and you were also in the gifted kid program, I was in advanced math two, three years in a row in math class in middle school. Um, I didn't mean to say in math class, I meant to say in middle school. And then when I got diagnosed in eighth grade, my teacher kind of talked about how he knew how much I would understand the content and it's just kind of a shame that I don't because he knew how much I would just get it because I really did love math and I was a quick learner. Things changed. My physiology has changed. My brain does not necessarily work like it used to. 
and things happen. But most importantly, I have to stop blaming myself. You see, I keep blaming myself. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. I was never, the systems were not in place to actually get me back to what I needed to do. If you're going to emphasize learning so much and make it such um, a poignant part of society, how are you not going to put system in, systems in place that truly do help students get back on track? It honestly, I'm going to be completely honest, it felt like there was no plan for this ever happening to students. And like pediatric cancer is a thing. It doesn't matter that I had kidney failure. Pediatric cancer is a thing. What were you going to do for pediatric cancer patients? It just seems like there was no plan whatsoever. And that's very dangerous because, yeah, I my case is a one percenter, but life be lifing. Life, life be lifing. So you'd never know when another student is going to need help. So why aren't there better systems in place? Okay, let's talk about it. This is getting, this is very concerning. It's very bad. For me to experience it in middle school and high school and someone in college too? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Something ain't right. We do not have good systems in place. We don't have good systems in place. Rework it. Rework it. Figure it out. Do better. Let's do better. For everyone's sake. Because ableism does not put anybody at an advantage. Ableism does not put able-bodied people at an advantage. It hurts everyone. It hurts everyone. Wouldn't you like to be treated like a human being who is not just uh, an automated machine who can work all the time. You want to be treated like a human being who has thoughts, feelings, emotions, opinions, loved ones. You have the need to be social. You cannot live your life in a cubicle. Yeah, so let's, let's let's not treat people like they're only methods of production. Okay, cool. Let's not treat people like they're commodities. That's, that's not, I think I said the right, was that the right metaphor? Uh, no, simile? I don't know. Sometimes I just be talking. Um, yeah. Sometimes I just be talking without fully knowing what the word meant. If I do that, I will repeal my statement. Repeal? Uh, uh, what's it? I will retract. That's the word. I will retract my statement. Here's one thing you gonna know about me. I am a, a. I am always learning. I'm always learning. I am continuing to learn every day, and I will never ever stop learning because you can never know everything. So I'm always gonna be learning, and if I get something wrong, I will tell y'all that I got something wrong, and I'll own up to it. Because I'm never going to act like I know everything. And please, if I do get something wrong, let me know that I got something wrong. And I will be elated to to apologize. Um, Because I just think it's like, 
it's shitty to double down on your wrongness and I've done it before and it gave me a bad taste in my mouth um and it was for meaningless stuff it was about how what the sports we play in my high school were and I was like we don't have that sport and they were like yes we do and I said no we don't um and then I felt stupid I felt stupid I felt stupid when they proved me wrong I was like well you know what I could have just said nothing which brings me to um, my, I believe, my last point because I can't think of anything else to talk about. But um, Blair Mani on her live this morning, this night, or this evening, she talked about how you can really just say nothing. And I wish a lot of people would take that advice. Sometimes it's okay to say nothing. Sometimes it's okay to shut your mouth. Woo! It's okay to let silence linger. You don't have to say everything on your mind. You don't have to say anything. Sometimes it's okay to be quiet. You will not hear me speaking on stuff I don't know. Because I know my place is to be silent. Because... I look like I've learned my lesson. I look like a fool talking about stuff I don't know about. I look like a fool. And it's embarrassing. Are you not embarrassed? I am embarrassed for the things I did. When I acted like I knew something that I did not know. Okay? It's okay to be quiet. It's okay to not center yourself in every conversation. You feel me? And that's going to lead into my episode on allyship, which is the what I'm going to record next um, in this productive night owl session that I'm having. Um, just a little um, anecdote. I used to, so when my mom would always call me a night owl, and long story short, I was always out at night sneaking out of my room to watch TV in the living room at like 1 a.m. So um, I'm not new to this. I'm true to this. Um, so she would always call me a night owl. And I thought the phrase was night out, like night O-U-T. I was like, yeah, I'm a night out what a what of it i'm a night out um i have no idea when she finally clarified it for me i was definitely too old like it was maybe five years later or six years later and i was like 11 or 13 and i was like oh it's been night owl o w l this whole time i thought it was night out she was like, why would it be night out? And I was like, night out makes a whole lot more sense than night owl. Like, you spend the time, you, you go out at night. You're a night out. Night owl is just, ugh, I don't like it. So, do you have any phrases or expressions that you have edited through misinterpretation that sound better the way you used to hear it I have tons I have tons I can't remember any of them right now but I have tons night out and night owl is the only one that I can think of right now sign my petition to change it to night out of course that's not a real petition but doesn't it make more sense 
don't you love this podcast? You get heavy hitting information and talking about societal and uh, issues that are ingrained in the makeup of America. And then I talk about expressions, meaningless expressions. Oh, also, like everything is racist. Like everything is racist. Did you know that the not the 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 way we knock, like the common knocking sound, is racist? Found that out through a TikTok video. Um, like everything is racist. Like everything is racist. So like, I'm not gonna say phrases anymore until I fully know. I should. I really should stop saying phrases that I don't know the origin of. What if Night Owl is racist? Then we really should change it to Night Out. Okay. So I have to... I have... That's my job. Um, yeah, yeah. That's something that I can do before just saying random phrases. Uh, is check to see their origin. Because uh, if you don't believe that racism is ingrained in America... Please look at all our idioms, euphemisms, phrases, all that crap. All of it is all embedded in racism. Woo. Woo Chile. I know it's woo child. I just want to say woo Chile. Ah, ha, ha, ha. This is, this is when Talia gets tired of talking about a serious topic and now she's lightening, she's lightening the mood, I guess. I don't know what I'm doing. I just talked about myself in third person. That is not a cute look. That's not cute. We don't talk about ourselves in third person. I did it again. Did I? Oh, okay. I think this is the part where I stop the podcast. Um, Again, this is an ever going topic for me. So I will probably be referencing it more than I did here. And I've referenced it before. But I kind of uh, really felt inspired to talk about it because I read my old blog post about it and I was going in. I was really trying to like, I was like, let's destigmatize this. Let's, we got to advocate and make better um, uh, solutions to the problem. And I was like, 16 year old Talia pumped up 19 year old Talia. I was like, yes, yes. Let's do it. Um, so yeah, I was just thinking back to when I was 16 and how isolated I was and how much I wanted um, a space of people to talk about these things and how I found it. I found a lot of it. Um, and it's, it's incredibly, incredibly helpful um, to have those spaces now where I can truly feel, I feel seen, and I know that is a cliche, but I, it's truly feeling seen, like, I just, I've never, I've literally never felt this scene before, um, people are always talking about representation in films and movies, and I'm like, I don't feel like I've ever been represented in a film or movie, um, but I do feel represented through TikToks, (laughs) Um, and I just want to make a note because I think this is a really great advice. So I don't know if I've talked to you about this before, but I have a Google doc. You can do this on anything you want. You could even do it on a spreadsheet, whatever you want to do. 
but I have a collection of every single, not every single piece, but most pieces of media that relate to my mental health. So I have collected this and I have like, I guess you could say I archived it so that it helps me better communicate with my therapist or anyone who I'm trying to get them to understand what goes in my mind because I can't really talk about what goes in my mind, but a bunch of other people on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter have um, so articulately described what happens in my mind, um, but it's also a great place for me to make notes of, um, what's it called, symptoms that I've experienced. So, for instance, ADHD is one of the, um, what, what, I don't want, I, see, now my brain's like blanking and I'm, I want to call it a mental disorder, but that's not the correct terminology. Um, but ADHD is one of the things, I guess I'll say, that I want to be screened for because I've been have. there's a lot of, I've, the symptoms are like describing my life and I'm like, excuse me, who's in my head and why are you so good at articulating what's been going in my head for the past couple of years? Um, so yeah, if you could make any type of document, folder, whatever you want and just like anything that you really relate to like instead of like commenting relatable like we used to do in 2014 (laughs) maybe just save it and be like hey you want to understand my brain here's this document of things that I think really do my brain justice um yeah I haven't brought it to my therapist just yet but I plan on giving her a peak of it. I I have so many things on it on the dock. There's like over a hundred things. I think we might be in the two hundreds. I'm on the internet a lot. I'm on the internet a lot and I'm seeing a lot of symptoms of other things and I'm like, I don't know what I have. I'm not gonna diagnose myself. However, this brain is not neurotypical. That's all I know. Cause I what? I'm at this point, this is my opinion. This is, I don't know if it's unpopular, I don't know if it's controversial, but, and I have seen a therapist back this up, because they're saying in a capitalistic society, it's very hard to not have mental illness. I think everybody has mental illness. I don't think anybody is neurotypical. I think, I think that neurotypical can exist, but I don't think it can exist unless you have an incredible amount of resources to not be worried about any, anything and then even with that you see rich people get addicted to like drugs and stuff or just the power that they have so like I don't think anyone's neurotypical you either like I just I don't believe anybody's neurotypical I really don't everybody's neurodivergent and there's just different degrees I guess I don't know I don't know because I know comparing things in degrees is um, also a harmful thing to do. Um, like when people are like, well, my autism's worse than your autism. Like that's not, that's not healthy. That's not healthy at all. Um, we're not trying to do an oppression Olympics. We're not, we don't do that. Um, yeah. But I, I don't think anybody's neurotypical. How are you neurotypical? How? 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 That's really my biggest question. How? How? Is there a secret? Is there a way to be neurotypical? I mean, 
you know, I, I don't think I can change it now. But like, how? How do you live in this world as a neurotypical? That's crazy. No mental illness? None? What? How you do that? How? 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 Okay. That's on the podcast. I can't think of anything else to talk about. Again, this is an ongoing topic for me. The book is not closed on this. We're just turning the page. And we can always turn back the page to go over what I said. But yeah, um, that is the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm not surprised this is a longer episode. Um, But thank you for sticking around if you did. You can even chop this up into little pieces and digest it one by one. I know I'm saying that at the end, but like, you know, you do you. It's your experience. As long as you get my message, I'm cool. Okay, so thank you. I may be operating on sleep deprivation, but this is also when I get my best work done. Thanks, bye!